Welcome. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach, and I have the awesome privilege to host this show and share with you some of the greatness coming from our community. You know, we often think of Milwaukee as a quiet Midwest town, but there are actually some really big things happening here, and we need to shout it from the rooftops and make some noise. We have some great nonprofits that are making a difference in our community and in the lives of people who live here, and people really need to know that. You know, you turn on the news and there's plenty of morbid, depressing, sensationalized garbage that we could fill our minds with, but how about we do a paradigm shift? Let's choose to focus on the positive things that are going on instead, because there certainly are plenty of them. Today we're going to hear about how children from all over the world are benefiting from innovations coming from our Milwaukee-based Children's Hospital of Wisconsin Heart Program. Now, I had the opportunity recently to tour the Herma Hart Institute at Children's, and oh my goodness, I met some pretty amazing people who are doing amazing work, and I actually got to see some beautiful little babies as well in the CICU, the Cancer Intensive Care Unit, uh, which was, was, was awesome and a nice privilege. And then we're going to learn about a program that's helping with sudden cardiac arrest education and prevention. So today my first guests are Dr. Peter Frummelt, pediatric cardiologist at Children's, and Marianne Kessel, who is the Executive Director of Development for the Herma Heart Institute, and a pediatric cardiac nurse of 34 years. So welcome to the show, Dr. Frummelt and Marianne. Thank you very much. We are happy to be here, Joe. And we are happy to have you, and we're excited to, to learn more about the Herma Heart Institute. I actually, to be honest with you, had not heard of heart Herma Heart Institute until our marketing director, Wendy Bitter, introduced me to some people who were involved, and she said, you gotta, you got to hear about this. And so after my initial meeting with some people, um, Mary Pye Warren, who is your associate development officer, invited me to come in for a tour to see firsthand what it was all about. And I was so impressed, and I thought, oh, my goodness, people need to hear about this. You know, not everybody can come in for a tour, but people can certainly hear about it. So tell us, Marianne, what is the history of the Herma Heart Institute, and why did you get involved? Well, Jill, it's a fascinating journey, I must say. I started out, uh, I'm from Wisconsin, uh, but I went down to Houston to the Texas Children's Texas Heart Institute and, and saw the big state and the big ways people do things. They certainly believe it's big, and they do great work. Uh, then I came back in the late 1980s and knew I was passionate about kids with heart disease. I was born on Valentine's Day. So well, there you go. What can that you brings say? it full circle. Fate. Yes, it yes. Does, it does, <laughs> but my heart's intact. Uh, but I, I literally, and this, this speaks to what you just said earlier, where folks feel like, well, Wisconsin and Milwaukee is just a little place, and we, you know, we do some nice things. Not so sure we do great things. Yeah, they think of the big, the big three, well, right? L.A., New York, Chicago, mm-hmm. and for well, us, and it's Texas. It's, uh, Texas uh, it's children's in Boston. It's children's okay. in Philadelphia, and they certainly are great programs. I'm not here to speak uh, anything but uh, positive about them. 
But what has been really overshadowed is the work that we do at the Herma Heart Institute. So let's go back in time. Let's go back 30-plus years. And uh, when I got here, we had a pediatric heart surgeon, Dr. Bert Litwin. He came in 1973. He was trained at Harvard and Boston Children's, so certainly a very qualified uh, pediatric heart surgeon. And he was the first heart surgeon uh, for kids in the state of Wisconsin. So prior to that, they would, well, and there wasn't much prior to that, pediatric heart surgery really started a little bit in the 60s, in, uh, in more earnest the late 60s, early 70s. So he was definitely on the frontier of this kind of care. Normally adult heart surgeons would kind of uh, take on simple cases. Anything more complex and simple was a natural history. It, that journey went on without the ability to intervene. So uh, I have to uh, be truthful. When I first got here, after coming from the Mecca at Texas Children, <laughs> I thought maybe Dr. Litwin was a good surgeon and he'd milk cows on his day off. So, um, you know, I, I needed to be re-humbled to the Midwest. After we that. are Wisconsin, after all, American <laughs> exactly. <Dairy> State. <laughs> and I was honestly taken aback. Uh, the kinds of surgeries he did, the kinds of things and outcomes he had were things in Houston that we all worried about whether or not a baby could get through it or whether there would be residual defects, whether they'd try to repair it and couldn't complete it. Um, none of that happened with Dr. Litwin. So he certainly was a gentleman, but he was a phenomenal surgeon. And so that started our surgical piece. I'd be remiss if I didn't say Dr. Bill Galen came in, 19, in the 1960s. Yeah. And he, uh, he really started pediatric cardiology, but at that time not much surgery could be offered. So... Mm -hmm. We've been at it for a very long time. The journey fast-forwards to uh, a family, the Herma family, uh, who played a role, John Herma did, in, in buying the Kohl's department store back in the day from the Kohl's uh, family and made it what it is today. They had a daughter with complex congenital heart disease. And in 1987, um, 85% to 90% of those children did not survive. And as was true with Lee, uh, she lived for just short of three months after mm -hmm. Dr. Litwin attempted some surgeries. Mm -hmm. They felt strongly that Lee's life meant something and Absolutely. that they wanted to invest here in Milwaukee because they were very impressed with Dr. Litwin. And that was in 1987. The team, including uh, Dr. Frommelt sitting next to me, uh, really put their heads down and said, this type of complex heart disease is not going to conquer us. These kids are otherwise healthy kids. We really need to make this uh, a focus of ours. Mm. And so it, it correlated. It wasn't because of the Hermas and their philanthropy, but it correlated because it was the biggest problem out there. Is that fair to say? I think it's a great description of what's happened. Okay. It's been an amazing journey, certainly for me. And I came, I'm not quite as old as Marianne, thank God. <laughs> but I have been it's here. It's five minutes, uh -oh. folks. Better it's five <laughs> minutes. I have been You're sitting here. really close, so you could kick them under the table. <laughs> I have been here since the early 90s and, and have been lucky enough to participate in what I, I have to describe as an amazing journey for the Herma Hart Institute. So what role do you play then at the Herma Hart? Are you, are you more on the clinical side or the research side of things? Well, I really wear many hats. Um, I am a clinician, so I see and help care for children every day. Uh, and that's a, really a primary focus. But I'm also a researcher. I've had opportunities to participate in 
um, some really amazing research, uh, some of it funded by the NIH um, that's involved not just national but international uh, multi-institutional trials to improve outcomes of children with congenital heart disease. And then finally, I'm a teacher. Um, I'm an educator. I'm also employed by the Medical College of Wisconsin. And we actually have a training program for pediatric cardiologists. And I feel really comfortable saying we are training some of the best and the brightest uh, for future generations to be cared for well. That's awesome. Education is very important. We definitely believe in that at Ellen Becker Investment Group. You had mentioned prior uh, when we met before, Marianne, that um, with a high Medicaid population, you struggle with having enough funds for research and quality improvement initiatives outside of normal care, but that uh, the Herma Heart Institute is able to continue to innovate primarily because of that philanthropy piece. Can you share with us what's exactly supported by philanthropy at the Herma Heart Institute? It is, it's again, having the, the uh, opportunity to look at time uh, over time. We look at philanthropy as new on the horizon, so to speak. In other words, there, as Peter talked about, the NIH funding was quite available in the past 15 years ago or so. That's really been reduced. Government funding's gone down. Um, we take care of all children regardless of ability to pay. So without some philanthropic support, we could get by but we couldn't do the things that took the Herma's child from 85 to 90% death in 87 to 2001. We have the best reported outcomes for that disease where the survival to discharge from hospital is 90 to 95%. I think you need to repeat that because when you shared that with me, I thought, oh, my goodness, that is such an awesome stat. So back in the 80s, the mortality rate was 100%. You really, didn't to it. Li- you really didn't live with that diagnosis. And now, after all the research and everything that you've done... It, we expect them to live. Not it, 100%. Right, but, but the, the percentage was... We've flipped it. Yeah. And it's due to the work that Peter and his colleagues in anesthesia and cardiac surgery in the intensive care unit focused energies. This, this isn't always their day job uh, mm. to be able, certainly caring for the kids is, but to step back and spend many hours researching, if we do this, can it make it better? If we do that, can it make it better? Whether it's drugs or anesthesia or surgically how they do the repair, those, those take investment dollars. Yeah, right. And yeah. without those investment dollars, we can be pretty good. But we can't make the difference for kids like I just said to you, yeah. to take what was 100% death to nearly 100% life. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's awesome. You know, we need to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to learn why families from out of state and at times out of the country travel to Milwaukee to receive care at the Herma Heart Institute. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community. With your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm talking with Dr. Peter Framalt, pediatric cardiologist from Children's, and Marianne Kessel, pediatric cardiac RN, and the executive director of the Herma Heart Institute at Children's. So we said before the break that families come from out of state and at times out of the country to receive care at the Herma Heart Institute. Why? You know, what do they get here in Milwaukee that they may not get in their hometown or country? 
Well, let me brag for just a minute because I can do that. Please uh, do, yes, go ahead. <laughs> I can do that about Dr. Frommelt and about his colleagues um, probably a little bit easier than he's willing to do. <laughs> and it, it is because of the excellent care that we've spoken about, which is measured by outcomes. And Peter can talk about that in a minute, how we measure outcomes. But it, uh, this is a very savvy world these days, and people go online, and they look at different programs once they've been diagnosed while they're pregnant. So you can find out when you're 16 weeks pregnant that you have a fetus or a baby who has uh, complex congenital heart disease. Mm. So parents have time to start to look online. And some of the, the things that we at the Herm Heart Institute have led in is not only excellent outcomes, but transparency. So we believe that families in crisis should know exactly what they're facing uh, and exactly what our track record is. So rather than patting them on the shoulder and say, we're the doctors and nurses, trust us, we we put data out online. Now, not all data looks beautiful, mm -hmm. but we believe tra being transparent is important. From that, and we were the leader as we were in the top 10 in U.S. News and World Report for pediatric cardiac programs. Wonderful. Um, we were the first one within that 10 that signed on for full transparency the first go-around. And Peter will talk about what that means, full transparency. But that led us to also developing a uh, program of second opinions to say – we're happy. There's no ego. Actually, I would say this this whole uh, group of folks across the nation, there's not a lot of big ego. We're really, our true north is the kids. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure that if it's not us, it's somebody else who's really good. Sure. If it can be closer to their family and the program is good, you know, we're not going to ask you to fly all over. However, when we've got the best outcomes and they, they make their own decision based right. on the data. Mm -hmm. So I think perhaps you can address a little bit of what that data looks like. Sure. So it is. It's, Marianne said it really well. It, it, it's about outcomes, and people have gotten savvy about outcomes. They want to know that their child's going to have a successful surgery, going to be tr uh, treated, cared for well at our institution. And um, there's been development of um, nationally agreed upon databases that um, collates centers' outcomes, publishes that. Now, you can choose to keep that secret, or you can choose to make that openly transparent. And we made a decision actually more than a decade ago that we were going to be transparent of our outcomes. Yes, it's easy when you're successful, but we also felt it was important that families make an informed decision. Yeah, absolutely. And so they can go to the Herma Heart Institute website, and they can look up the heart problem that their child has been diagnosed with, and they can see how we do compared to other elite programs across the country. And, and when people see that and see that our outcomes are comparable to, in many cases, better than the best of the best centers, they're interested in coming here. And is that how you measure then? You yes. know, you, you talk about Herma Heart Institute as excellent care setting. You know, right. it, that, it, those are some of the ways that you measure It really that. is benchmarked. <clears throat> Certainly, I think most importantly, surgical outcomes is the easiest way to compare. And, and so they've developed these databases that allow apples to apples comparisons, right? It's not fair to compare us who's doing the most complex, difficult surgery on the sickest babies with a center that maybe does more simple repairs and that's it. It really compares those complex lesions side by side to, again, identify who's doing really well, who maybe isn't doing as well with those lesions. And, and we've stacked up very well. I mean, it, it's, it's, um, 
it's a great time to work at the Herma Hart Institute. I couldn't be prouder of what we do. I was just going to say, you guys should be very proud. I yeah. mean, it's, if, if any, if, how wonderful it would be if people could take a tour like I was able to have. But obviously we can't do that. But that's why we're doing this show is so we can educate people and say we've got some great things going on right here at, uh, at Children's and Herma Hart Institute. It, so, it's a gem. Oh, I imagine. It, it's a gem that I would say is too well-kept. Mm, secret mm-hmm. because what will what what does that mean why is it important because insurance contracts and payers sometimes mm-hmm. can direct care well not sometimes frequently can direct care and without folks knowing the outcome difference they may be directed somewhere which has was in the insurer's menu but doesn't have the kind of outcomes we do and and again if our true north is the best and safest care for kids then that matters. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, what kind of impact on kids with heart disease have you experienced in your years of delivering care, both locally and beyond? Well, I think I think we talked about it previously, but it, it's a remarkable story. So when I started in 1991, it was expected that babies with hypoplastic left heart syndrome, we talked about it, that that baby would die no matter what we did, no matter how we intervened. Mm-hmm. And in a decade, in 10 years, we turned that around so that... more than 90% of those infants were expected to survive. Um, I I don't know that anybody can tell that story. And you can imagine how that story played nationally, internationally. Mm -hmm. We became, before, maybe the little engine that could, that did a nice job in the Midwest to, oh my gosh, what is going on in Milwaukee, Wisconsin? How are they revolutionizing taking care of the sickest of the sick babies born with the most complex heart disease? Mm -hmm. So our reputation exploded um, in a way that that really required us to develop a national and international second opinion program because people were coming and knocking on our doors. Families, as Marianne said, got quite savvy about reading papers, reading our publications, um, that not only pediatric cardiologists were impressed with, but now families are understanding that we're doing something special. We're doing something in the right way that gives their child the best chance to survive. Did you ever reach capacity? Were you? I mean, now that you guys are like the it for this procedure, uh, did did you ever find yourself in a situation where you couldn't care for all the kids coming in? No. I mean, again, we have you know our our partner really which is children's hospital wisconsin medical college of wisconsin has given us resources to make sure that we can continue to do our jobs without having to worry about that i mean in really a remarkable way and again marianne and, and her work the philanthropy that we've seen has just been incredibly generous but critical to our ability to continue to expand that program i mean we need tremendous um expertise and depth in that expertise to be the kind of heart center that we are That's hard to maintain. That's a lot of mouths to feed. Um, And so we need to continue to have one high volume, but also we need the support of the community to continue to operate the way that we've operated. Well, and we're going to get to that in a minute because we certainly want listeners to know how they can help. But, um, you know, and I guess the, the question would be if they're not in the medical profession, are they still able to help? Is there a place for them at the Herma Heart Institute? You know, I, I think the one thing, and uh, again, Peter and I have been colleagues for a whole lot of years, um, <laughs> and um, on most days we love each other dearly. Uh, I would say the one thing that is consistent is not not only are there is their great team amongst the doctors and the nurses and the respiratory therapists and that whole group, 
But as folks come in to receive care, they become part of the family. And so they're on, we're on the journey with them and their child, and you know, so we're all connected. Many folks want to be able to give back, whether it is because they are a grateful family or because they know this is a priceless gem in our community, and without it, we're, we're actually, if you want to talk finances for a second, you know, that we can provide care right here in Milwaukee in the state of Wisconsin means families oftentimes can stay at their jobs more. Mm -hmm. They can get back into their life cycle, so it's much less disruptive than having to get on a plane and fly out of state. So there's value to the community to make sure that we remain stable. Now, uh, when we talk about the fact that you drive by uh, Children's Hospital of Wisconsin and we're putting uh, digging holes with big cranes, and so, gosh, we must have all the money in the world. Uh, and, and in reality, we have uh, – I, uh, I don't think the CFO would shoot me – that about um, – uh, on most years – in the last three years, about 36% of the bottom line contributing to the work that Peter and the rest of the team does is from philanthropy. Mm. So if you think about that, if you take 36% out of that menu, there are innovative things that just, they're nice to have, but, you know, we got to do the basic care. Right. So people can volunteer. People can become advocates for children who don't vote. People can be philanthropic in any way they want. If there's a particular program, I think you're going to be hearing about one in, in, uh, later in on, mm-hmm. is um, come on and join us. These are our future. These are our kids, and we really need them to be as healthy as they can be. So it's going to take a village. Yeah, absolutely. Any last words, Dr. Frommelt? I, I think um, Marianne has really described what we do and what we need, I think, um, in, in beautiful terms. Um, again, the, this heart center um, is one of only a handful in the country that provides the best of the best care. Mm-hmm. And so it should be valued as that. It Absolutely. is one of the treasures in this community to have a, a world-class heart center in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Absolutely. Wow. Well, talk about sharing some goodness in the community, right? <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Peter Fremalt and Marianne Kessel for helping our community understand how Children's and the Herma Heart Institute is providing hope and wellness and a future for children affected with cardiac abnormalities. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Jill. We can do many things to take care of our kids within a hospital setting, but what about outside the hospital walls? What can we do to make an impact in the way of cardiac care out in our community? Stay tuned to hear how another pediatric doctor is getting in on the action and using his time and talents to help save lives from sudden cardiac arrest. We'll be right back. You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo. And my next guests are Dr. Anoop Singh, pediatric cardiologist at Children's, and Allie Thompson, who is the project administrator for Project Adam. So welcome to the show, Dr. Singh and Allie. Thank you for having us, Jill. Excited to be here. We're excited to have you here and learn all about Project Adam. Before we get to you, Dr. Singh, I'm going to just ask Allie quickly here. Can you explain 
what exactly is Project Adam and why you wanted to be a part of it. Sure. So Project Adam really is uh, a movement that was started after a tragedy. Um, Adam was playing basketball, um, and he was only 17 um, when he collapsed. He was having a sudden cardiac arrest, and at that time in 1999, nobody really knew what to do. And everyone mm. kind of looked around and, you know, kind of like when you're in a situation, oh, I thought they were going to do something. I thought they were going to do something. And it really was a devastating experience. Um, so when he collapsed, they called 911. They started CPR, but they didn't have the right equipment in place mm -hmm. um, to, to save him. Um, so he did pass away, and his family worked with Children's Hospital to start to come up with a solution. Um, fast forward 20 years, and um, we're an amazing educational program, and that's really where I found my interest with Project Adam. Um, my background is in community health, and I found it as a inspiring way to get involved and help people and help people do the right thing. Hmm. So it's, and we'll get more in depth uh, in a little bit, but what it is is it's uh, primarily educating people about what the IEDs, uh, you know, how to use them, or is it just primarily education? Yeah, there's a lot of education that goes into it. So it's educating on what is an AED and what training needs to be in place. Um, but then it's also beyond that and helping them actually implement a program that is sustained within their school building. Okay. Um, so it's twofold. It's, um, it's education and then it's also implementation. Okay. Well, it starts with education, right? Absolutely. You, know, you really have to yep. define what the issue is yep. first. Okay, Dr. Singh, your turn. Why, right. why did you get involved with Project Adam and, and what's your role? Um, well, I think like a lot of physicians, you know, I went a standard path of training and getting uh, really a lot of knowledge and taking care of kids with heart problems. Um, but, you know, in general, as physicians, we take care of the person who's in front of you. And my specific area of cardiology was taking care of the kids who would survive these sudden cardiac arrests. So as you can imagine, it's a, the worst scenario possible for a parent that their kids just had this life-threatening event. Um, but unfortunately, the even worse scenario is what happened to the Lemel family where the kid died. Adam passed away. Yeah, with no prior history, Correct. right, Correct. of Correct. any any cardiac-related issue. Yeah, and that's usually, I mean, that's why it's called sudden, because it's sudden and frequently it's unexpected. Mm. And um, the more I understood about the patients in front of me, the more I wondered about the ones who never survived that I would read about in the media, uh, the ones who never make it to the hospital. And you start to realize that what we're doing is, yes, it's important, but it's it doesn't exist. It's not possible unless somebody made the right decisions when that person collapsed in the first place. Mm. And yes, the right decision is calling 911 and waiting for EMS to arrive. But in those minutes without blood flow to the brain, which is what's happening when someone has a cardiac arrest, they don't have blood flow to their brain. That's why they collapse. It looks like they're having a seizure. But in those minutes, if, if we don't act, and by we, I mean everybody listening, just the general public, if we don't act, even after EMS arrives and even after, you know, good doctors take care of someone, they may not survive or they may not have a good outcome from that. And and so we know that, you know, that's those seconds initially require action. And the action comes from people who are not necessarily trained medical people. So mm -hmm. anyways, long story, but I I knew about Project Adam, which was you know, which existed at the children's hospital 
and um, and I wanted to do more than just taking care of the kids in front of me. I wanted to take care of the kids who never made it to me. Mm. Be more uh, proactive than reactive. And, Correct. Yeah. Well, and we talk about education and you know making sure that people understand what an AED is and how to use it and training. Um, you had uh, when I've spoken to you in the past. You said uh, something about heart, heart safe schools. Um, what is that exactly? Yeah, and that's really become the the focus of what we do. So over the last 20 years that Project Adam has been alive, um, we've worked really hard to create ways to help schools and ways to educate. And we really took all the things that we found over the years and made a Heart Safe School designation. And so we look at that at, as kind of three main areas. Number one, we want schools to be prepared. So we want them to not only just have equipment in their building that just hangs on the wall or, you know, maybe a one-time training where everyone learns how to do CPR and then the next year there's nothing in place. Yeah, because um, if you don't use it, I imagine you don't remember. It's it, like anything, right? It's like anything. Yeah, yep. yeah. It's like anything and, you know, staff changes, um, things change. So making sure that that becomes a part of their process and what they do and what they think about. Um, so that's really the preparedness component. Um, the number two is really recognizing um, the great work of these emergency response teams. Um, when you go into the, the teaching profession, I presume you really focus upon um, what what you're giving to the kids and giving to the community, but you don't think about doing CPR right. or you know thinking, do I need to learn how to use an AED? So it's really recognizing their accomplishments and celebrating that with them. So through our um, through our checklist, we're trying to motivate them too. So we're not trying to come in and say, this is what you have to do. We want to empower them, recognize them as well. And then um, number three, we're creating a network across the state. So we want schools to talk to each other. Um, we collaboration piece, right? Collaboration, yes. Yeah. We, collaboration, collaboration. Um, the We want people to talk to each other. Um, it's not us doing this for the schools. It's the schools doing it for the schools and having them inspi inspire and empower one another. Do you ever work with businesses in getting AEDs in businesses as well, or primarily focusing on schools? We primarily focus on schools, okay. but we certainly will provide resources to anybody that reaches out to us. Okay. And actually, we are a heart-safe office because we have an AED Yay. here. Yeah, <laughs> we right? We noticed and that. And we actually had a situation with uh, a woman that was having felt like she was having a heart attack at one of our events. And someone said, go get the AED, you know, scary. and I think it was Wendy Bitter, our marketing director, that, you know, quickly ran out and got it. And we were very blessed that it didn't advance um, where we had to use it. But we had aspirin, you know, we were like, crush some aspirin and give her the aspirin. But if we needed to, we would have been prepared. So I think it's, you know, for those businesses that are listening, um, I think it's it's important as well to to look into um, possibly having an AED on site. But again, it starts with that education piece, right? I mean, we, we know we met a gentleman who's in the field who I think it was in his 20s or 30s. Uh, he had a cardiac arrest at work. And um, he, you know, they called 911. The paramedics arrived. The paramedics shocked him. And thankfully... He was saved, and he had a great outcome, and, you know, obviously went on to have other things. But the thing that always stuck with him and kind of changed his career was, uh, and he ended up going into this sort of a field, was that there was an AED at that office, and nobody used it. And, oh. you know, and he always wondered about the what-ifs with that because, yeah. you know, and, and I think that's a lot of what 
you know, having a program is. It's not about just having the AED on the wall. It's having people who check it to make sure the batteries are still good because yeah. it needs to be checked regularly. It's making sure that somebody knows not just to call 911, but you need to be, you know, on a school campus, which is pretty big. You need somebody to direct them to the site. And then I think probably the most important thing, which we certainly know from the medical side, and I think many industries know, is that you have to practice it. You have right. to drill. Yeah. And without doing the drills in the schools, they'll never have the muscle memory that they need to, you know, do this. But I think that's, you know, those are really the key components of being a heart safe school. And I think we, uh, I would say almost, well, probably 90% of the employees here are trained on how to use it. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, again, if something happens, you know, I would think, oh, my gosh, you know, you know how to use it. But are you, when the time actually comes, are you going to really know what to do? That's, uh, that's hopefully you, like right. you said, the muscle memory kicks in and you know. Right. Um, so why should schools be involved in the program, and, and what's the, the trickle-down effect of your work, and, and how is it spreading to the larger community? Yeah, and I think we already kind of touched on that with the business piece and that whatever is going on in the school building is eventually going home, um, mm. and whatever education is going home um, is really ingrained um, in what's going on in the, in the larger community. So, yes, we're focusing on schools and we're putting these programs in schools, but we we hope to see this spread to a, just a broader awareness of what to do in a cardiac emergency, um, not only having equipment, but like we said, that response system and calling 911 um, and really having the knowledge to, to take action and to not be afraid. Yeah, because you're, you're educating the students uh, you know, to what's available. And hopefully, as you said, they go home, they talk yeah. to their parents, their parents go out and talk to their places of business, hopefully. And, right. and, uh, education is, is, is out there and, and the word is spreading. So that's great. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to learn how Project Adam is able to accomplish their work in the schools and the communities across Wisconsin. We'll be back in a moment. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG. Milwaukee's philanthropic community with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's philanthropic community brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach, and I'm joined today by Dr. Anoop Singh and Allie Thompson, who are representing Project Adam. Uh, they're joining me here in the studio today. So, Allie, tell tell us how you're able to accomplish your work in the schools and the communities across Wisconsin, or Dr. Singh, whoever would like to handle that question. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think I want to be clear there. A lot of schools have systems in place already. Um, they have, you know, school staff that are interested in being trained. They have defibrillators. Um, and I think a lot of the pieces are in place. And what we try and do is just make sure that everything is comprehensive, that it's put together, that they're doing drills, because again, drills are very important from that standpoint. So there's different ways that people come to us. Either the school themselves reaches out to us. Um, they may go to a, a state uh, nursing convention, and we, you know, we often speak at those as well. Um, but you know, it starts in that sort of grassroots way where someone is interested and they see us and say, that's exactly what I've been trying to accomplish in my community. Um, so they might come to us from that, or sometimes it comes from parents who, um, you know, either approach us in clinic or just reach out to us by looking into this and say, you know, I'd love to bring this to our school. How do we do it? 
And I think no matter what the route is in which you come to us, the, the common thing is we sort of need to do a needs assessment early on. Okay. Uh, we try to keep it simple because, you know, everybody's busy. So we spend a couple of pages just having them fill out a form. It lets us know what it is that um, we need for someone to uh, give us an idea of where they're at with everything. And then Allie, the team, will look at it and decide where the school is in the process. And everybody's unique and individual. And we try and figure out what, where they need to go from there. Yeah, and then from there, um, our Project Adam staff or a volunteer will really work with a champion or what we call a site coordinator at the school, and we'll help them go step-by-step. Step. So if they need access to training, we'll try to link them with someone in the community. If they need equipment, uh, we'll try to activate or mobilize uh, funding resources with along with them. And then we just really kind of work through that checklist and until they get everything in place. Um, it usually takes about a year. Um, it's not an overnight process where all of a sudden you know one day you're a heart safe school um, we just we want to make sure everything's in place and then as a culminating event we we celebrate with the schools so we really like you have a party say, we have a we have a, you have a heart party it's called a heart safe school party so if you hear this I mean everyone should want to be a heart safe school because um, you get a party come on what well, was fun is that you see some of the biggest smiles when people are holding up that banner because it's, yeah. it's up there and it says you know, it says this school cares about the people who are here. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really that's a really fun opportunity for us to get out and connect with the school, um, give them their banner. They hang it up. And again, it's a sense of pride. And then uh, usually that same day, they'll run an AED drill. And so then it's an opportunity for us to help them. Um, and then we learn from the schools as well. And we're able to extend uh, some of those observations. We've, we've had school districts that really were starting from scratch and, and I think initially felt a little overwhelmed by it. But it's amazing how somebody who starts at that point and, you know, the district I'm thinking of, they went through nine schools over the course of a couple of years but got them all heart safe within two years. Wow. And nine schools in two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Very and impressive. And they're district nurses now, like one of our our best supporters and resources for other school nurses across the state. So, you know, we do that as well. We connect schools with each other, as uh, as Allie had mentioned. Are you, are, do you find that you're primarily working with high schools or it even goes down as, you know, to the primary schools as well? Yeah, it runs the whole gamut. So we will work with any school. When Project Adam first started, the emphasis was on high schools to okay. get AEDs in the high schools because there was the the biggest chance of a sudden cardiac arrest happening with an older population. Um, But now we will work with any school because we've learned that schools really are a gathering place. So you have, you know, you have your staff and your students, but then you also have all the visitors that are coming in and out. You have your after school and summer activities. So there's a lot going on. And isn't it prominently displayed in the gym usually, or maybe right when you come in the front doors so people can see you the, know the banner the the actual AED oh the AED oh I'm jumping to the banner you know I'm, <laughs> I'm stuck on that heart safe school party I'm sorry um, and that's fine because that, that that's important uh, the, the AEDs are usually in a very prominent place and we want them to be also at a height level where they're accessible um, outside the gym um, outside the front office um, are common spots for them in larger school buildings or districts they may have to have a couple AEDs throughout their campus we want it to be accessible within two to three minutes of someone collapsing so Mm -hmm. being able to go get the AED from wherever you are and bring it back 
So okay. that's a, like a brisk walk there and back. Um, but and if they're invisible places, that's that's the best part. Okay. You know, you know Jill, you actually reminded me of, of something that, you know, we take for granted in what we're doing, but we sometimes forget to talk about, which is that, yes, this started because a 17-year-old basketball player died. And yes, that is sort of the intent of the program. But what we found, and, and this program has sped, spread nationally, you know, we have it in over 15 states now. That's wonderful. But across, across yeah. the country, um, when we look at saves, meaning people who probably would have died if there hadn't been a program in place at the school, um, of those, you know, 140 plus people who have been saved, uh, over half of them are adults. So um, yes, kids have been saved. You know, that is for sure the driving force behind it. But it's actually had a huge benefit for all the people that are in a school. And we often, you know, like to remind people that, you know, on any given day in the United States, 20% of the population, not just kids, but everybody, all ages, 20% of the U.S. population is in a school at some point during the day. Mm. So it, those are huge thoroughfares. And generally when you have projects like this that are trying to, you know, do public health measures, you have to pick large volume places. So, you know, airports tend to be places where a lot of AEDs and emergency response planning, large businesses. Um, so schools are obviously a huge thoroughfare for, for people. So, What about stats? I mean, you had talked about how it's, um, you know, in 15 states. Do we have any stats around how many schools in Wisconsin are being involved? You said nine schools within one district. I mean, if there's a listener out there that is saying, Maybe they had an experience with this, or maybe they saw it, or maybe they have some, uh, maybe they're a nurse, or maybe they're just, uh, you know, someone with no no experience, but they want to help. Yeah. They're saying, oh, my goodness, it took one person to, to, to ask the question, you know, I want this for our school. What do we all have to do? Um, you know, it's important to understand that, that it, well, like you said before, it takes about a year to get from start to, to yep. when they can actually start using it. But to know that um, there are X number of schools in the state that have it already, or like you said, nine schools within whatever district that was, I think it's important for people to know that. Yeah, we're glad you brought that up, Jill. So there, in our state of Wisconsin, there's over 3,000 schools, which is you know, a pretty, a pretty big number when you think about it. And we, we have a very large, um, large state and we kind of sometimes focus our efforts, um, in this, in the regions where we, we can drive to or get to quickly, but we have a lot of work to do. So, um, since 2016, about 250 schools have achieved the designation and, when you think about it from that perspective, that we started the designation in 2016. So it's really only been a formal um, opportunity for people to get involved um, for the last three years. Okay. Um, but that being said, like a new ped. Uh, had pointed out that we've been in touch with schools and a lot of schools are already doing all these things. It's just a matter of us to be able to get the word out and why we're so thankful for opportunities like this that we can really tell the public this is available. Mm -hmm. uh, we would love for you to join the effort. And, we and so they can have a party. They can have a heart they can safe have a heart school safe school and party. have a party. <laughs> there, um, there is actually a, a survivor uh, that lives in the Green Bay area. She had a cardiac arrest, not in a school, but at Lambeau Field um, when she oh, was wow. three. Um, and she, their family are they're phenomenal advocates for us. So every year she had they have a fundraiser, but she calls it her heart party. 
because every year they're celebrating, you know, what is another year because she's here because of AEDs. Absolutely. And the heart is the emotional piece. And so, you know, how fitting is that? So speaking of parties, I had to throw that in there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, any last words before we go? Well, I just want people to remember that, you know, we're doing this in schools, but I think all of us as citizens um, should be involved by knowing how to do hands-only CPR. It's it, This is all a public health thing. This isn't something for medical professionals. So if you, you know, know how to call 911, that's a good step. There's a lot of things that you can do. Awesome. Well, Thank you, Dr. Singh and Allie Thompson, for educating us on Project Adam. Thank you for your commitment to help build awareness and prevention of sudden cardiac arrest. Thank you for being here today. Uh, I also want to thank my guests, pediatric cardiologist Dr. Peter Frommelt and Marianne Kessel, RN and Executive Director of the Herma Heart Institute. Thank you for sharing how the Herma Heart Institute and Project Adam are making a huge difference in the world of cardiac care for children. If you'd like further information about what we talked about today, you can email me at jill at ellenbecker.com or you can call our office at 262-691-3200. If you're not in a car or you don't have access to a radio, do what the millennials are good at and find some other form of media to listen to the show. You can use your laptop or tune in via the iHeartRadio app or you can ask Alexa to play WISN AM 1130. And if you've missed a show, no worries. You can visit our website at ellenbecker.com to listen to previously aired shows. Join us next Sunday morning to learn more about some great people and nonprofits that are doing great things in our community. Find a way to be a blessing and give a blessing. Have a wonderful Sunday.